1: So, Welcome to our Catechism class, and today I'm in the studio pod, but in the garden around me are two very excitable Dachshunds playing and barking, so we might get a wee bit of interruption from time to time. We don't worry about that. We're going to talk about Lord's Day 22, question 57, and this is the third look at our amazing subject of the resurrection of the dead on the last day. In Lord's Day 22, question 57, the Catechist deals with that glorious day of resurrection, the final day of time when the Lord Jesus shall return to this earth as judge. And he deals with it in a very personal way. He asks us as Christian believers about what comfort we have knowing that our Saviour, the Lord Jesus, will come again. A very personal and a very subjective question indeed. And he's giving us the answer. Here it is again in question 57. What comfort does the resurrection of the body offer you? And the answer we're expected to give is, not only shall my soul after this life immediately be taken up to Christ, my head, but also this my flesh, raised by the power of Christ, shall be reunited with my soul and made like Christ's glorious body. Now, we've already discussed this comfort in our previous two lessons, so let's do a very quick recap. We learned about the intermediate state of the soul. In other words, what happens to the soul after death, how that soul lives on, and how we Christians go to be with the Lord in heaven forever and ever. But that's not the end. For there will be another eventful day, a day when Jesus, who is presently seated at God's right hand, will rise from his exalted position and will return to this earth. And on that day our bodies, which have lain in the grave, maybe only recently buried, maybe for centuries, maybe for thousands of years, Those human bodies will be reunited with our souls, the souls of those who have died in Christ, and we shall live with him in the new heaven and the new earth, a whole new universe where Christ will reign. Saints will be made perfect, and we will never again have to face the sorrows of death or bereavement. No more parting or tears or sorrow or loss or pain or sickness, for there shall be no sin there. In John's vision in the book of Revelation, he is told what this new eternal state will be like. In Revelation 21, verse 1-4, to we read these words, And I saw a new heaven and a new earth. For the first heaven and the first earth were passed away, and there was no more sea. and God shall wipe away all tears from their eyes. And there shall be no more death, neither sorrow nor crying, neither shall there be any more pain, for the former things are passed away. Now all of that should make us think. And as our catechism insists, it should bring us comfort in this life. But let's go back to our recap. We learned too about how that resurrected body would be my very own body, recognisable as such, reconstituted out of the dust of the earth, not a different body, but my human flesh made perfect, like Christ's resurrected human body, now reunited with my soul. And we learned about how that would happen by the power of God which raised Christ from the dead, but we can't leave it there. For that same power of Christ which raised Jesus from the grave and which will raise us too will have other astounding and momentous repercussions on that great day. In this supplementary lesson we're going to try and find out what those repercussions are. I'm Bob McAvoy and this is the Semper Reformata Podcast. So let's begin. And it's very important before we start that you read 1 Corinthians 15 verse 24 to verse 28. 1 Corinthians 15 verse 24 to 28. I'm actually going to read it to you just now, but I would really like you to follow along in your Bible. So I'd like you to get your Bible and open it at that passage and then keep your Bible open, for we'll be referring to it as we learn. So 1 Corinthians 15 verse 24. Then comes the end, when he delivers the kingdom to God the Father, when he puts an end to all rule and all authority and power. For he must reign till he has put all his enemies under his feet. The last enemy that will be destroyed is death, for he has put all things under his feet. But when he says all things are put under him, it is evident that he who put all things under him is accepted. Now, when all things are made subject to him, then the Son himself will also be subject to him who put all things under him, that God may be all in all. And those are wonderful verses. And in those verses, we see the risen Lord marching forth, coming against evil the first in the battle, the protagonist of righteousness and truth. And Paul in these verses is outlining some of what we might call the secondary consequences of the power of God being displayed on that last day. I find five of them. They're not by any means exhaustive. The first one of those is that the Lord and his people on that day will be vindicated. Paul writes, for he must reign till he hath put all enemies under his feet. He is reigning right now, and the battle is ongoing, but there will come a victory day when the wrongs of this world will finally be put right, and Christians get wonderful comfort from that. Sin and misery are rampant throughout this world. Think of it. Internet pornography, child prostitution, Drug addiction, paedophilia, terrorism, crime, extortion, running riot in the world. They certainly were in Corinth, and they still are today. Many look around them, and they fear for society, and they fear for the future. But for the believer, there is victory. There is a day coming when Christ shall put all things under his feet, and that means all sin and shame and lying and deceit and violence and murder, all crime and injustice will be ended when Jesus comes again. The second consequence of his coming will be that the day of judgment will have come. Well, of course, the victory of Christ on that day implies and requires a sorting out of the of the earth, a differentiation, a judgment. Jesus himself said this would happen in John 5 and verse 28 and 29. He says, marvel not at this, for the hour is coming in the which all that are in the grave shall hear his voice and shall come forth. They that have done good unto the resurrection of life and they that have done evil unto the resurrection of damnation. On the resurrection day, the final judgment will take place. The Belgic Confession expresses this beautifully in Article 37. Finally, we believe, according to God's word, that when the time appointed by the Lord is come, which is unknown to all creatures, and the number of the elect is complete. Our Lord Jesus Christ will come from heaven, bodily and visibly, as he ascended with great glory and majesty to declare himself the judge of the living and the dead. He will burn this old world in fire and flame in order to cleanse it then all human creatures will appear in person before the great judge, men, women and children who have lived from the beginning until the end of the world. For the person who does not know Jesus, for the one who is still living in the darkness of this world, Jesus will come as a thief in the night and his return shall be unexpected. It will be an unwelcome event, leading to judgment and eternal death. Now that day has not yet come, and there is still time for sinners to repent of their sins and to turn to Christ and trust him, the one who died on the cross, to pay the fine for the sins and iniquities that we have committed before God, to take our punishment, to take our hail and to pay the debt that we couldn't pay. That he hasn't come shows that God is being patient with us. Second Peter 3 and 9 The Lord is not slack concerning his promise, as some men count slackness, but is long-suffering to usward, not willing that any should perish, but that all should come to repentance. But that day will come. Before we look at some other consequences of the return of Christ, let's pause for a moment and worship God. In Psalm 110, verse 3 to 6, When you display your power, your people flock to you. At dawn of red and holiness, your youth will come like dew. Psalm 110, verse 3 to 6, and the tune is Selma. Well, there are three more consequences of the return of Christ on that resurrection day. the final defeat of death, Paul says, the last enemy that shall be destroyed is death. Death shall be no more from that day onwards. The great enemy of man will be stopped for forever, and death will be swallowed up in victory revelation twenty one and four And God shall wipe away all tears from their eyes, and there shall be no more death, neither sorrow, nor crying, neither shall there be any more pain, for the former things are passed away. And then there will be the subjection of the universe. Paul says, For he hath put all things under his feet. But when he saith all things are put under him, it is manifest that he is accepted the whole of the universe will be subjected to Christ on Resurrection Day. We return here to the subject of true headship. The doctrine of headship decrees that God is the head of all things, that Christ, being made equal with God, did not consider that equality something to be grasped and held on to, as Paul states in Philippians chapter 2, but nevertheless became obedient unto death. And so Christ is the head of man, and man is the head of his home. That is the divine order. It is given in the Scriptures. But mankind is also the head of nature. Remember that Adam was given the task of subduing and cultivating the earth. He was to exercise dominion over all the earth. Psalm 8 and verse 4 What is man that thou art mindful of him? And the Son of Man, that thou visitest him, for thou hast made him a little lower than the angels, and hast crowned him with glory and honour. Thou madest him to have dominion over the works of thy hands. Thou hast put all things under his feet, all sheep and oxen, yea, and the beasts of the field, the fowl of the air, and the fish of the sea, and whatsoever passeth through the paths of the seas. At Resurrection Day, God's created order shall be truly restored. And the last consequence, and perhaps the most wonderful of all, is that on that day we will have the ultimate glorification of God. When all things shall be subdued unto him, says Paul, then shall the Son also himself be subject unto him, that put all things under him, that God may be all in all. Now, let's not think that this implies some form of subordination of Christ. We believe what the Bible teaches, that the three persons of the Trinity are both co-equal and co-eternal. God gave a great task to his wonderful Son. His task was to be the Saviour to go forth and to conquer sin and death and hell and present all things, the redeemed universe, to his Father. On resurrection day, Christ shall present not only all the universe but even himself as the mighty conqueror to God. So the resurrection of Jesus proclaims loudly that Jesus is the victor And the coming day of resurrection gives us a portion and a share in Christ's victory. Will you be there? The resurrection of the dead will precipitate the great judgment day of the Lord, and only those who know the Lord as their Saviour will be part of his victory. So what have we learned in this lesson? Our Saviour, the Lord Jesus Christ, will return to this earth, visibly and physically to judge the world, and on that day our human remains, our bodies, maybe long buried in dust, will be resurrected to be reunited with our souls and to dwell with him in a new heaven and earth. That recreation of the universe will have far-reaching consequences well beyond the physical resurrection of the redeemed. But the most important of all is that in all things all the glory and praise will go to God our Creator and our Redeemer. In our next lesson we'll move on and we'll see what our catechist has to say about heaven.